Hi, this is Brian Stevens from SpyPoint. I'm excited to talk with Darren Choate today, editor from Grandview Outdoors that includes Bowhunting World Magazine, Whitetail Journal, Predator Extreme, and Archery Business. I've been a fan of these magazines for a number of years based on the content and information they provide and looking forward to talking to Darren today. Welcome to the Spy Point Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Stevens, and on this show, we get to talk about hunting, tactics, technology, and the inside scoop from industry pros. Follow along each month as we learn, laugh, and grow together with the passion we all have for the outdoors. This is the Spy Point Podcast. Hey, Darren, how you doing today? Welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We got a lot of ground to cover today, but before we jump into it, I'd love just to get a little bit of uh, background from you. Um, long, you know, history in the, in the hunting industry, but walk people through, you know, some of the things that you're doing now and, and really the path that got you to bow hunting world and a number of the other, um, you know, digital platforms that you currently work with. Sure. You bet. So I am the Editor for Grandview Outdoors of Bowhunting World, Whitetail Journal, Predator Extreme, and one of our B2B uh, brands, Archery Business. Nice. And I've been, I've been, I started as an outdoor writer probably about 2004 and did a lot of freelance stuff for uh, mostly Western publications, like uh, a little bit for Western Hunter, and then with Rocky Mountain Game and Fish and that type of thing. So uh, full-time, I was working at Northern Arizona University but always had a love of the outdoors. I was guiding quite a bit at, at the time and, and wanted to be able to, to have a little bit of a, a voice on the side, so started doing that. And about 2017, I, I left NAU and followed my wife uh, to the Phoenix metro area and started okay. working as the publications manager for Western Hunter Magazine. Very nice. Uh, I had it, and also at the time kind of built my own brand, Western Whitetail, which was a because I love Coos Whitetail so much, it was kind of my idea to, to take something and build a business around it and include all the Western subspecies of whitetail deer as well. So, And then finally, that that last uh, gig led to an opening at, at Grandview Outdoors, and I've been there ever since, and it's been a, a great opportunity and work with a bunch of great people there, and we got a bunch of great brands. We love to get out to the consumers. That's great. That's great. You know, and one of the topics, I mean, we'll definitely cover some – you know, Eastern, Southeastern, Midwest type of whitetail stuff, but I definitely want to talk with you about, you know, your experience in Arizona with the, you know, the coos and the cows deer and in really the mule deer and just that type of hunting. I've, I've been to Tucson and the Phoenix area, uh, you know, a number of times over the years. And, and it's one of the, my favorite places to go bow hunt. And you, obviously you can do some rifle hunting there too, but it's just a super pretty area that I don't think uh, people, you know, appreciate and maybe know. So I'd love to cover some of that and give some people some insights around, you know, some Arizona hunting. Yeah, you bet. Arizona's a, a, a pretty diverse state. You can go from 1,000 feet to 12,000 feet in about an hour and a half. So, Well, you know, so while we're on that, I spent, I don't know if you remember, probably six years ago or so, the coldest winter that Tucson ever had. It was in December, January timeframe. Um, right. I was uh, on the side of a mountain um, hunting uh, cows, deer, 
and we were not prepared for that weather change. <laughs> and I can tell you <laughs> that was a long, miserable night. We had coyotes circling uh, our tent and we were in the fire went out and we were just like, I don't have enough energy or can get out of this bed to go chase them away. And if they want to come in here and start gnawing on me, they can, but, um, <laughs> it was definitely, you do, you know, you get some of that weather change in the mountains and people don't realize, and I've done a lot of bear hunting up there too. So, um, right. really cool area. So let's jump into, you know, first, I mean, you know, for a lot of people, you know, we, we're in the heart of hunting season and you got the pre-rut, um, and you know, the rut right around the corner, um, for a lot of people that are that are whitetail hunting right now, and you know what I'd like to do is just when you think about that that type of hunting for that species of whitetail, you know, talk about some of the things that you know are important to you as you prepare for a pre rut or rut type of hunt, whether it be you know stand placement that you know if you like to call, and I know that may depend on where you're hunting, but anything you can share, you know, that people may be able to you know learn from that they would get in the magazine or digital platform that you could talk about today. Yeah. And obviously we like to cover everything from all the different regions, uh, as much as we can. And, you know, like in bow hunting world, talking about how the ruts affecting people in different places and different times. So the, the majority of my experience is hunting coos deer here in Arizona, which the rut doesn't really start in earnest until January 1st. Yeah, that's so, right. Uh, so, uh, I'm a long ways away from that, even though I'm going on a, a very special hunt tomorrow uh, and have a, another rifle hunt for, for two's deer that starts a week after that. So, it, so it's all preparation. And, uh, you know, uh, another one of our editors, Gordy Cron, I recently watched him on a little episode that he was doing and, and talked about actually making a list and making sure you take the stuff with you I, because I've forgotten stuff in the past. I got halfway to a hunt last year and realized I didn't have a, a range finder with me, which is not a good thing no matter what you're hunting, <laughs> if it's with a rifle or a bow. So yep. uh, those types of things are always important and, and just making sure you have the right gear for the right time. And I guess once you get out there, for me, it's, you know, don't be afraid to, to try whatever, no matter what type of season it is and, and what timing is going on with the rut and that kind of thing. So. No, and that's uh, and, but obviously, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, obviously, you know my my experience with with coos whitetail is a little bit different as far as stand placement. The majority of of times that we're hunting those from a tree is probably going to be in August September, and you're it's a it's a completely different thing. You're you're totally on a a, a feed pattern and, and that kind of a thing. So it makes t- it makes total sense and a lot of times you know when when i h- hunted the the uh, cows deer it was you know over water uh, or over a trail you know if it was you know early in the season but like you said during the rut um in january it's a totally different ball game so yeah. let's transition and talk about it. you said you you got a, a hunt that's upcoming and you know what are some of the things you're you know you're preparing for what kind of hunt is it going to be and you know what makes it so special to you yeah, so this one, that, this special one that I mentioned is I happen to be the lucky winner of the Arizona Super Raffle Whitetail Tag, which means my hunt began on August 15th of this year, and it goes all the way until August 14th of next year, and I can hunt any unit in the state of Arizona wow. during that time with any weapon I want to hunt with. So it's it's one where most people are looking for uh, a super buck. You know, we're talking like a 130, 140-inch uh, coos whitetail. So. Yep. That, that's what we'll be after. And, and then I, I have to draw another hunt here in Arizona that begins on October 23rd as well. 
it's also for two's whitetail. So there's a chance that I could take two bucks on, on that one hunter in the next couple of weeks. I've taken two bucks up here in Arizona. So pretty special opportunity. That is special. And, you know, you say 130 inch deer is a super, super whitetail. And for, you know, the, the species of deer that you're hunting, that is a giant. I mean, and that's a giant. It takes 110 inches to make the book. So, yeah, you know, I, you know, I had a chance, uh, to get on about 105 inch, you know, uh, deer in Arizona, you know, a number of years ago on public land and that, you know, the buddy that I was hunting with was losing his mind. Like that was, you know, for public land, that was a, a huge deer and we just couldn't quite pull oh, it yeah. off on a spot in stock, but that's, that's amazing. I mean, you know, and if you are able to use a rifle that definitely increases your chances, you know, based on the terrain. And, and again, you'd mentioned earlier, you know, it's very hilly, lots of mountains in certain parts of Arizona where some of those, those coos deer like to hang out. So man, I wish you a ton of luck in that super exciting, because uh, that is a tag of a lifetime. I appreciate it. I should say this too. So this is Arizona's chance to raise money. So this year alone, they, that super raffle raised, I believe, $864,000 for wildlife conservation here in the state. And over the time, it's raised some crazy number that's in the millions for sure. So, Okay. No, that's it's great. A, it's a great way for uh, hunters to, to give back. It really is. And even those that don't, live in Arizona. I mean, I'll sit there and raise my hand and, and tell anybody that if you get a chance to go to Arizona and, you know, not only hunt, you know, coos deer or, you know, mule deer, javelina, uh, I've done a ton of predator hunting out there. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing and great public land. Obviously there's some incredible units for elk, but those are very hard to, to draw, you know, and it takes a long period of time, but there's some great public land for whitetail and mule deer that, um, I just, you know, I, I've been able to experience it and it's incredible. Yeah, Arizona has a wealth of opportunities. Like you said, though, it, it takes a while to get drawn in most cases. It does. It does. So have you been on any hunts um, so far this year, whether it be in Arizona been, or any parts of the country? Yeah, I've been on a couple. So my son drew a, a muzzleloader antelope tag. Nice. And I got to spend a few days out there with him. Actually, he got a, a, a really nice buck on opening morning. Uh that was about 83 and a half inches, which is a pretty big antelope. Mm -hmm. He shot it at 405 yards with a, nice. with a CVA muzzle loader. So <laughs> wow. people think that's a pretty long shot, which it is, but he had practiced out to four and 500 and he was comfortable with it and, uh, made that had to make a follow-up shot at 15 yards. But, uh, I was super proud of him. He's, been, you were. he's a, he's a wildland firefighter. So he's busy. He's been on a ton of fires here in Arizona all summer. But he spent 21 days in the field uh, to find the right antelope that he wanted to shoot. And he got he got Arizona Game of Fish survey, and, and in their survey, they only saw 15 antelope bucks during that whole time. And there were days where he saw 13 bucks, he saw 15 bucks. I think there was one night that he saw 21 bucks. Uh, so he, he pretty much covered that whole unit and figured out what he wanted and, and found it there on opening morning and, and was able to, to seal the deal. So that was that was a great opportunity. And I was, I was really proud of him. For, you know, you know, what's so cool about that, that absolutely you're proud of him, but what's so cool about that is not only did he make an incredible shot on a great animal, but he earned that. I mean, he, he put the time in to scout, find the areas, find the animal, and then be able to go get on them and then make it, make it happen. So what, what exactly. it just, you know, that, that's one, you know, he'll, he'll always, you know, remember and, uh, and not forget. So, 
Very cool. Yeah. So speaking of that, I mean, what, what's one of your favorite hunts? I, there's always a few that stick out in my mind, but, you know, whether it's with your son or you personally, you know, what's one of your favorite hunts that you think back on? That's always one of the toughest questions, <laughs> I think. I mean, that's a good so problem with to my have, stepdad. I guess. Yeah, exactly. With my stepdad growing up, there were so many uh, fun hunts that we experienced, and we were mostly weekend warriors, you yeah. know, doing it for a couple of days, and, and then some of the youth hunts with my son, and just, I mean, he and I are goofy. We're usually driving down the road, listening to some crazy song and making a video and dancing in the truck. Or that's, all, that's awesome. <laughs> something like that. But it's it's always about, you know, making the memories and, and that kind of thing. That, there was one time that I got to go to Texas with both of my boys. Uh, a good friend from high school was able to take his kids and another good friend of mine that when I was guiding a lot of hunts was my, my cook. And, and he and I have done a lot of photography projects and stuff together. But we got to spend about five days down uh in texas and some of the kids shot javelina and we shot a few deer and and that kind of thing and that that was a pretty special trip the the people down there at church ranch that we stayed with and and come to know and that kind of thing were were just great folks and that was that was a pretty special trip and we all have some pretty good memories i'm sure from that one no that's that's awesome i mean i'm I'm in the same but i've been fortunate enough to be on a, a lot of good hunts i mean you know, if I think of a few, one is you know, Caleb and I, a few years back in Alberta, had a chance to shoot just, you know, a deer of a lifetime. And it was just really cool. One of the biggest deer he'd, he'd film, one of the biggest deer I'd seen. And, you know, we pulled it off and it was just one I'll never forget. And then the other two are with my boys. And I got to tell this one story because it just cracks me up. So my, my, both of them were, you know, you know, 11, 12 years old. And my, um, middle son is just, he's a hunter. He's like, sounds like your son. I mean, he just, (laughs) he's just a, you know, a killer. And then my youngest, he's always struggled. And, and so he finally got on a deer and we're sitting in the stand and he's sitting there and his legs just tapping and he's shaking. I'm like, Clark, man, are are you okay? You cold? You got to pee, whatever. He goes, dad, I got to (laughs) pee. And I'm like, okay. So, and we're totally bundled up this finally got a decent deer you know in front of us about 100 yards and 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 he's like but Tyler will make fun of me if I pee and stuff I'm like it's fine man just just let it go buddy just let it go so he literally (laughs) pees his pants and he you can see like he just like calmed down you know I'm like it's fine man it's good we're both wet it's good let's get on this deer and so he settles in makes a perfect shot and so he's like, don't tell Tyler I peed my pants, you know? So we go load the deer up. And of course, his brother goes and he smells. He goes, Clark, did you pee your pants? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but it was like, whatever. And he finally got his deer after like two or three years of missing and stuff. And those are the just <laughs> the ones you, you always remember forever. That's so, awesome. but yeah, that's, that, that's super cool. Visit spypoint.com forward slash insiders to learn all about the new SpyPoint Insiders Club that gets you incredible discounts on things like photo transmission plans and accessories, free shipping from spypoint.com, exclusive content and giveaway access, and the most advanced mobile scouting tools SpyPoint has to offer. That's spypoint.com forward slash insiders. So, so when you think about the we'll transition now to, you know, getting ready for, you know, a hunt out where you're at for, you know, coos deer. And I know uh, just if, if you don't mind, um, I know you hear some people say cows, deer, coos, deer. 
what is your interpretation of that? I know some people, you know, get a little offended if you don't say it the right way and you want to pay, you know, the proper respect for that animal. But, you know, what what is the proper way to say that species of deer? Yeah, the way I understand it, it's it's named after Elliot Cows, pronounced like the, the other animal. However, anybody that is hunting them seriously calls them coos deer. Okay. More like C-O-O-S, basically. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you for that clarification. I've had some people correct me over the years and some people, you know, they're, you know, they, they will say it both ways, but, um, well, we got somebody from, you know, right there and an expert in the field. So I appreciate you clarifying that. So when, when you think about getting ready for one of those hunts, what are some of the things that you prepare that might be different than if you were to do a, you know, Midwest or in Northeast or Southeast type of whitetail, you know, what are some of the things you're doing different as far as that style of hunting and getting prepared for it? Yeah, I'd say there's there's two really big things for me. One of those is physical preparation. So uh, I'm not a I'm not a giant by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a Cameron Haynes, but I run anywhere from nine to thirty miles a week throughout the year. Not not the whole duration of a year, but mostly in that January to uh, June time frame. I do a lot more running than I'm doing now. Uh, and a little bit of weight training as much as I can, uh, just to be, I mean, you're, you're literally going up yeah. some steep hills yep. from 3000 feet to 9,000 feet in, in different places. So, uh, you know, I, I lived in, I lived at 7,000 feet here in Arizona for the majority of my life. So living at that elevation prepared me. Now I'm down here a thousand feet. So I have to do some things a little bit different. I actually lose some lung capacity when I go up the hill these days, but, uh, so physical preparation for sure. And then the second thing is we're mostly sitting on our butts behind big glass on a tripod looking for uh, the white tail that you want to shoot and then doing some kind of spot and stock to get closer for a shot. So and, that, you know, that's a lot different than sitting in a tree, yes. sitting in a tree stand. I mean, you're, it, you're still sitting there, but you're, uh, you're looking at a lot of different country for a lot of hours. Uh, and you're, you're better, your time is better spent sitting on your butt than, than wasting your boot leather. Yeah, no question. And, you know, I saw that from from Jimmy when I was out there that you have to glass effectively and there's a strategy to how you cover, you know, you cover area and geography and stuff and how you and those and they're not big animals, you know, I mean, and and they can blend in so easily. And so how do you pick them out? And then then it's a matter of, okay, once you find them, how do you get to them? So that way, you know, they, cause they spook very easily and then to make it happen. So based on that, you know, how important is glass and, you know, what, what do you use or what do you, ex- you, you know, suggest that somebody go out there if they're going to be serious about it, what type of glass somebody use? Yeah. The, the biggest thing, buy the best glass that you can afford. So I use, I've always sat behind Swarovski 15 by 56 okay. because that's, that was the best that I could buy uh there are some other great brands out there you know sig sour put the 15 by 56 together these days it's that's really good it's in a slightly uh lower bracket as far as price point uh no matter what you get though it you really have to have it mounted on a tripod just hand holding those things looking for a deer at what literally might be over a mile you just can't really do it hand holding binoculars you have to have it mounted on a tripod yeah and that's what I saw Jimmy do. And I, you know, and I would 
come out there in this, you know, second, third time as I started to do the same thing, we could cover more ground, but it really is an art. And I was super impressed with how he could cover so much ground with that spotting scope and, you know, the way that he did it and he would grid, you know, and then he could just, he could find animals that were just like, you know, how did you see that? But, you know, you learn over time, but having good glass, um, does make a big difference in being able to, it's, it could be that little tip of an antler. It could be an ear flicker, you know, something like that, that helps you see that animal. Like you said, when they're, you know, potentially a mile away. Yeah, exactly. I think everybody has their own idea of how to, how to do it. I always look for, I call it the easy areas first. So if there's an, an open on a hillside, I'm kind of looking at that first and, and cover those, uh, a couple of different times and then come back and start looking at some of the, the thicker stuff and harder to see into uh, areas to pick other movement of. Okay. Yep. No, that makes complete sense. So if we think about, you know, what, what are some of the hunts on the to-do list now? What are some bucket list hunts that you really, <laughs> you know, you know, you've been thinking about for a few years that um, may take a few years to plan out or get a draw, but you know, what might a few of those be? Yeah. I'd say that right at the top of my list is doll sheep. I spent four years in the Air Force. Most of that was at Elmendorf Air Force Base in, in Anchorage, Alaska. So although I was a, a young airman with not a whole lot of money at the time, uh, a good friend of mine uh, and I got to backpack quite a bit while I was there. And I just kind of fell in love with doll sheep. And I, I would love to get the opportunity to to go up there and, and do that one time, whether it be with a bow or a rifle, I wouldn't really care, but. Yeah, me, you, uh, me, both, my friend. The, <laughs> yeah, that would be the chance of a lifetime, I think. So, no, uh, absolutely. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, I, kind of in that same kind of territory, caribou and moose would probably be right up there at the top of my list. Something I've never been on uh, as far as a, a hunting situation. So, okay, uh, I, I enjoy doing some of the backcountry stuff, and I think yeah. those would be a couple great ones where you could, especially the moose hunt, where you could get back and into some crazy remoteness and and give it a give it a shot no absolutely that makes i mean i i i've been on a few moose hunts nothing nothing uh that has really panned out but um that's definitely on you know one of my to-do lists as well and i'm still you know a chance for a big mule deer um you know whether it be in arizona i've I've come across a few big ones um in arizona or you know somewhere um out west but um you know I, i just something about a big mule deer um gets my heart fluttering and uh it's still on the the bucket list i had a chance you know so you think about one of your favorite hunts well i could tell you about one of the hunts that i wanted to throw up and you know just (laughs) pack it in was 2015 i was hunting in new mexico and um a buddy of mine you know guides out there and we were hunting a deer called el wapo he was a 212 (laughs) inch um muley it just double drop and was just insane and so we got on him and uh it, it just trying to film them and i made a bad shot over them and you know when you hunt those different angles too as a bow hunter um you have to adjust you know not only for the deer dropping but if they're straight down or straight up that arrow is going to have a certain flight to it and um right. and you know it was he was staring at us he pegged us at 60 yards and i just didn't compensate and it flew about an inch over his back and um and just ran off out of our lives and I was just literally you could see like total disgust of myself and um and just wanted to vomit so um 
so that was, you know, one of those that I'm not sure I'll ever get back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just part of bow hunting though. It's part of bow hunting. Exactly. So I- anything else, um, like if you think back to your son, anything that, you know, he's talked to you about, like on his bucket list, he's got a long runway to do it, but anything that's super high on his list that he'd like to do. I don't know. I'm sure we, he has some good friends, uh, in Alaska right now as well that he grew up with. And I'm sure he'd love to get up there and, and do something with one of those too. So. Okay. No, that's, I mean, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's high on his list is you know, some kind of Alaska themed or, or something like that. So. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So l- let's talk a little bit about what's going on in, in the bow hunting industry right now. You know, there's, there's right. been a lot of changes over the last, you know, few years, um, in your mind, you know, what, what are some of those big changes and, you know, maybe transition into some of the biggest innovations that you see happening and, and what's on the horizon. Uh, and, you know, and then finally, you know, what, what can we do to be better stewards of this industry to support it? Right. As far as some of the boot, new bow technology, I mean, there's, there's some stuff coming out that, you know, helps uh, a user do some fine tuning kind of a thing, kind of like uh bow tech's done with their uh, cams and that kind of thing some of the new bow materials, some of the carbon stuff. And I don't think that's uh, been exposed completely on, on what might show up there. One thing that intrigues me a lot is, uh, was QAD's uh, integrate rest that kind of, it didn't change the way that the bow was perceived, but it changed the way, obviously a rest was perceived and how it mounts to the bow. And I, I hope that kind of, uh, induces some other people to, to think creatively about, you know, something like a burger buttonhole that's been there for as long as I can remember on a bow, but now is doesn't necessarily need to be used. I think that, that we might see some really cool innovation come out of that type of thinking uh, here in the near future. At least I hope. Okay. Okay. What, what from just a, an, outside of a product, anything from an industry standpoint, um, as far as, you know, where, where do you see the industry going? I know, you know, there's been, you know, talk and the sense is that the archery or bow hunting industry has really been flat over the past two or three years. Um, do you see that changing, um, in the future and, or if not, you know, what, what needs to happen to continue to, you know, fuel and, and help this industry grow that we also love? Yeah, it's, it's always hard to gauge those types of things. Like, you'll hear that, but then I have a really good friend that runs the the bow shop, at least, you know, one of the ones locally here in Flagstaff. And, I mean, they're just selling stuff like they can't keep that's, enough in stock, you okay. know. So, okay, that's good. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's the perspective of, of who you're talking to and what their expectations are, you know, to some degree. Uh, I Overall, I do think, you know, there's some – rumblings from within you know like this crossbow belong in archery and you know this is why should we shoot stuff with a rifle and I, I i do think that we have to as hunters hold on to all of it and find a place uh and accept that it's no matter what you want to hunt with as long as it's within the legalities of what we're with each state you know that we should we should hold on to that and and know that those people are our, our allies you know so yeah i mean that 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 it's funny there's definitely different perceptions on that i mean if you have a 
physical limitation, it's a no-brainer. Um, right. To me, it goes to if you want the challenge um, of a true bow hunt and, you know, go through everything and know that there's a lot that can go wrong, um, then, you know, use a bow. If you are, can legally use a crossbow and you can go out there and, and harvest that animal, feel proud about it. And, you know, and, exactly. and just the same thing too. I mean, somebody that's using a traditional bow could sit there and tell me, you know, from a compound bow, you know, I can shoot an animal at 50, 60 yards. He, you know, he or she's got to do it at 25, 30 yards. And th- right. what they're doing is even harder. And does it make my bow hunting with a compound bow that much less important or enjoyable to me it's like then it's semantics i mean whatever that's what makes this country beautiful and makes having the options beautiful is that if you want to cross bow hunt you can legally do it get out there and do it and if you're supporting the industry and spending money and and eating the animal and doing all that god bless you you know why get caught up in all that argument yeah yeah exactly there's just too much bad stuff goes out on social media anyway so but i think we need to pay attention to that as hunters and and make sure we are staying as a cohesive group uh as we move forward yeah it's 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 true and you know it's funny i've talked to some of the it's some of the people in the industry uh this past year and it's funny if you think about darren how you've evolved as a hunter um you know and just a more of a wise hunter more of a seasoned hunter and I even think of myself at my point in life versus when I was in my 20s you definitely have a different viewpoint but I think having people like you and I and others that have been around a while to somewhat stabilize and neutralize a little bit of that ego and or you know controversial approach is you know hey it's it's a good thing to just remember at the end of the day if you're in the woods and enjoying yourself then that's what's most important you're doing it right and ethically and legal then you know what, Ever, to each of their own. Exactly. So let's transition finally to what's going on in bow hunting world and some of these other, you know, um, digital platforms, magazines, you know, again, whether it's bow hunting world, whitetail journal, and some of the other, um, you know, uh, platforms that you work with, tell people about what's going on right now, what's exciting, what's on the horizon and what people can look forward to seeing. Yeah, you bet. So bow hunting world, we did, uh, we did cut it back to six issues last year instead of nine. So, uh, we're just trying to pay attention to what's out there and, and kind of what's needed and make sure we're providing entertaining informational, uh, content at the right time. So we've kind of looked at it and we're going to hit some every other month kind of thing, but hit those with the appropriate, uh, theme magazines for, for everybody that's out there. One thing that I'm excited about Bowhunting World that I'm going to take over this year, Rick Combs has decided to finally retire, so I'm going to start doing the bow report for okay. Bowhunting World and, and archery business, and I'm going to take a little bit different approach, and it's going to be more of a real real world kind of a thing, so we'll definitely mention the, the specs in there with IBO speeds and that kind of thing, but I'm going to actually shoot the bow, not use a, a hooter shooter, and, and uh shoot it at some different draw lengths and different arrows and that kind of thing and, and then be able to gauge uh, what's happening and kind of predict, you know, what somebody with a 30-inch draw length would be able to shoot and what somebody with a 25-inch draw length would be able to shoot and put some some other numbers in there as far as weight of arrows from super light to super heavy and, and hopefully give some people some uh, some real numbers that they can play around with so that they know what if they go buy this bow and, and these arrows, they'll actually know what they're, they'll be able to accomplish with it kind of a thing. So. Cool. That's kind okay. 
and and I get to have a bunch of bows in my hand and, and shoot them and, and that kind of thing. So you can, that can't be bad. No, not at all. And the other thing that uh, I'm I'm super excited about is is the new Whitetail Journal. So uh, with all that happened in 2020, we did suspend print on that for the remainder of this year, but it's going to come back uh, in 2021. And it's going to come back as a more of a coffee table presentation, be perfect bound. And uh, we're only going to do three issues, but it's going to have uh, some really great content in there. It's going to be with respect to the photography. It'll have some really high end photography and all those uh, departments and columns and, and features. And I think this will be a, a really good, good change for the whitetail hunters out there and they'll appreciate it. It'll, it'll be some good content that they'll want to take in for sure. Okay. That's great. Okay. Anything um, on uh, the other, you know, as far as, uh, you know, Predator Extreme or archery business? Yeah, it's kind of uh, plugging away at all of those, and all of those are available in print and uh, digital. So uh, there's a, a wealth of information out there to hopefully help you become a better hunter for, for all of those different types of hunters out there. And we do have our, our B2B side as well. So hunting retailer and shooting sports retailer and tactical retailer. So. Okay. Well, good. Well, it's been a true pleasure, Darren, um, to chat with you today. And uh, I definitely encourage, you know, anybody to check out, you know, Bow Hunting World, Whitetail Journal is, you know, would you suggest that they do it, you know, via the, the website to go to bowhuntingworld.com and check it out? Or can they sign up for, you know, the digital magazine, you know, just what's the best way for people to get access to some of these content? Yeah, I believe if you just go to grandviewoutdoors.com right now, you can get a, I think you can get a three-year free subscription to all three of those magazines if you'd like, the consumer side for sure. Nice. Okay. So say that again, Grandview. Grandviewoutdoors.com. Grandviewoutdoors.com. All right. So people need to go check that. I mean, that's that's a no-brainer to get uh, three years. And the other thing I would like to say is, I mean, if anybody would like to contact me, it's Darren.cho, D-A-R-R-E-N, dot cho, C-H-O-A-T-E, at grandviewoutdoors.com. I'd love to hear from, from some of our readers or from other folks out there on the topics we've talked about today and, and how we can include those in, in pieces in Bow Hunting World and White Trail Journal and that type of thing as well. I'm always uh, love to hear from the readers. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. You know, not, not everybody, you know, provides that level of uh, access and connects with uh, the audience like that. So, um, and your, your viewers. So perfect. Um, I'm glad you shared that. So listen, it's been a, you know, a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. And I wish you um, a ton of success on your uh, upcoming hunts and look forward to some pictures of uh, some stud, you know, coos deer (laughs) that uh, hopefully you can fill with that. Again, that's a tag of a lifetime. So um, it's been, again, a pleasure and uh, look forward to chatting with you soon, Darren. I appreciate you having me. Don't forget to visit spypoint.com forward slash project for all the latest from Project SpyPoint. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest on SpyPoint trail cameras and the outdoors.